where friends meet in celebration to enjoy local brews and award-winning cuisine. Here, the days are filled with endless fun, and each sunset is more spectacular than the last. Lake Havasu City, Arizona. Play like you mean it at golakehavasu.com. Good morning. I call to order this regular meeting of the Lake Havasu City Planning and Zoning Commission for Wednesday, December 20th, 2023. Please rise for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Ms. Gilbert, the roll call, please. Ms. Hennigan, the roll call, please. Commissioner Matthew Mitchell. Commissioner Susanna Ballard. Here. Commissioner Joan DeZero. Here. Commissioner Paul Lair. Here. Commissioner Tiffany Wilson. Here. Commissioner Lonnie Stevenson. Here. Commissioner J.P. Thornton. Here. Commissioner Jim Harris. Here. Commissioner, or Vice Chair, Gabrielle Medley. Chair David Diaz. Here. All right, seeing that we need one alternate, I could ask Mr. Stevenson to please approach the dais and sign in, please. Mr. Gilbert, do you have a staff report, please, and announcements? 
Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, since the Planning Commission last met on November 15th, the City Council has taken action on a number of a significant number of uh, utility abandonments, utility uh, easement abandonments, and uh, the City Council also is not holding a meeting on December 26th, so that meeting has been canceled. Um, and that is it for our current, uh, there, later on in the meeting I'll go over stuff that's upcoming. There's some pretty significant projects coming up, and I'll go over that later. Okay, thank you very much. Right, we all received as commissioners the minutes from the last meeting. Are there any additions, deletions, or comments? And if not, I'm looking for a motion to approve the minutes. So moved. Commissioner Harris? Second. Second by Commissioner Wilson. Any other comments? All right, we're ready to vote. Motion passes seven to zero. Thank you. All right, this is a public hearing and there is a structured order to the process. City staff will present each item. There will be time for the commission to ask questions of the staff and the applicant will have an opportunity to present their case to the commission. Once that is done, we will open a public hearing to give community members an opportunity to ask questions or provide input. I ask that anyone who wishes to speak limit their trips to the microphone to once per item and keep their comments to less than five minutes. Please stay on point and refrain from discussing subject matter not pertinent to the item being considered. There will be an opportunity for the public to address the commission about other topics later in the meeting. After public testimony is taken, I will close the public hearing and bring the item back to the table for the city staff's recommendation, further discussion amongst the commission, and eventually a motion to approve or disapprove. And thank you for adhering to this protocol. With that said, the first item is item number ID 234065, request for a text amendment to City Code Title 14, Zoning Development Code, Sections 14.04.01, 14.04.04, and 14.05.04 to correct textual errors, replace trash and closure diagrams, conform zoning map amendment protests, and state law, and clarify plan development non-performance review. And Mr. Gilbert, your presentation, please. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, the development code was adopted in 2016, and as with every development code in every city, um, over, over the years, staff notices uh, errors that need to be corrected that are not major uh, types of, of corrections. And we collect those and then every so often put them together in a batch and bring them forward and that's what we're doing tonight or uh, today. So um, there were originally six, there's now five. One, one we ended up removing after it had been noticed because uh, we were concerned about unintended consequences in other parts of the code of the change. And that's why that, that's noted in your packet that that was removed since we had noticed it to uh, have, a, have a trail uh, linking all that. So I'm gonna advance here with the five that are left and go over what we're trying to do. 
the first development code text amendment is from section 14.04.01. It's the table in that section, table 4.01-2 for mixed use, uh, for mixed uses. And in that table, in the very far right, there's a box that says C section 14.02.05. That 05 is incorrect and should be 0.04. So mm -hmm. that is a very minor textual error. We're sure that was a typo because when you when you look at what 05 uh, reference to an 05, it's not the same thing. So uh, it should be 04 to make that consistent. Um, in advance to another typographical error. And it's kind of hard to see because of how the uh, track changes handled it, but it's the uh, figure to the right of the red text. And this is in 14.04.04.E.3, and under that is figure 4.04-2. And if you look at the figure to the right of the red text at the top of the page, it's kind of cut off a little bit at the bottom. It's figure 1404 dash two is what it says, parking lot landscaping. And the very bottom of the clip I have on here under uh, E3, the internal landscape area shall be designed in accordance with the following standards as depicted in figures 4.04 dash two. It doesn't say 14.04 dash two, it should say four uh, on the figure 4.04 dash two. Mm -hmm. So we're correcting the figure. All we're gonna do is we're gonna <coughs> cut the bottom off and add in a new line of text under that um, since that, that is a, an actual self-contained image. So we'll snip it, we'll add some new text in, that'll be fixed in the code. So that's very, very minor change there. Mm -hmm. Moving on to the third one. The third one is a very significant one because this has caused uh, confusion with developers when they look at that. And that is uh, section 14.04.04.g.3 uh, figure 4.04-5, replace dumpster enclosure the diagram is what we're doing here. And if you look under uh, under section C, refuse, or I'm sorry, refuse enclosure and screening, there's sub-item two. The refuse enclosure shall be completely screened from view of public streets and adjoining non-industrial zone property by meeting the requirements of other sections of this code. It states completely screened and the diagrams do not indicate that gates are required. That was uh, one of the first issues. And the second issue is there's so many <clears> diagrams <throat> that it was confusing to some of the builders, developers, what we're actually intending there. So um, the proposal is to replace it with this diagram. And I went through hundreds and hundreds of uh, diagrams to see which one would be most appropriate. And in my opinion, uh, from what I've seen in other communities, this would be the most appropriate. It's the standard two-container dumpster, which can be modified for one or three or four, depending on how many they have. And then off to the right, it has the view of the gates from the front, where you have a solid metal gate that uh, is screened from view and it hides the, the trash, uh, helps cut down on, on blowing debris, uh, which is a bigger problem when lids are left open and you don't have gates. Um, so I believe that this is a much better, more explanatory diagram and it also mentions bollards in the diagram to the left and will be easier to explain to developers on what is expected. Mm -hmm. So that is that change. The fourth one 
is in section 14.05.04.k.5.a and this is a correction to be compliant with Arizona revised statutes. The only action being requested here is approval to strike one sentence and the reason for that is that sentence does not correctly calculate what the sentence after that states needs to be done which is consistent with state law and, uh, and that is if you follow the directions after the strikeout if any members of the council are unable to vote because of a conflict required number of votes for passage of the question shall be three-fourths of the remaining membership of the council provided that the required number of votes shall in no event be less than the majority of the full membership of the council the vote shall be rounded to the nearest whole number and when, whenever you calculate that out for however many members are present uh, it's never six. It's always five or four to have a majority. It can't be lower than four. And here's state law. This is what state statute, Title IX, Cities and Towns, Section 9-462.04H states. Uh, the change shall not become effective except by the favorable vote of three-fourths of all members of the governing body of the municipality. And then the next highlighted, for the purposes of this subsection, the vote shall be rounded to the nearest whole number which if all seven members are present, you multiply that by 0.75, that comes out to a number which uh, is always rounded down because it's not past the midpoint of five and a half to round up to six. So six is just not possible with a seven member, uh, seven voting member council. And that's why this change being recommended, I'll go back here, because for it to state in the stricken section that it requires at least six is not consistent with the part of our code that's below that or with state law. And so this is clarifying that. Um, that's number, the uh, uh, fourth change. Now moving on to the fifth one. The fifth one is one that in practice, um, it, it may have been a good idea when it was thought of in 2016 to require every uh, uh, general development plan that's adopted as part of a PD to be reviewed by council within three years of, of the date of the of approval if uh, to determine if it is uh, in public interest to keep the project open if they haven't done much on it but the reality is today that there's so much work that goes into these projects whether it be uh, engineering, uh, state approvals, uh, ADOT approvals, there are so many potential delays in these projects that some of them could be making considerable effort towards constructing and pass the three-year mark and be forced into a mandatory review. In practice, we're not doing that anyway, and we believe that it's better to switch that from shall to may so that if uh, staff and the council and plan commission become aware of a project that truly is not performing and they have no intention of performing then the decision could be made to move it back for a review to see if it's in the public interest to keep that plan in place whereas if a plan hits three years and and there's uh, there's been cooperation with, with the different bodies of the city and different government agencies and they're still making progress then it doesn't make sense to drag them in for uh, an unnecessary review process as they're still trying to fight through the red tape. So um, uh, we believe that 
that this will simplify this section of code with a one-word change from shall to may. And that's the five amendments. The one that got dropped uh, affected how, um, how uh, uh, well, I don't want to go into detail on it because we haven't fully reviewed it yet. That'll, that'll be come back to you guys in the future <laughs> after okay. we figure there's no non-intended consequences. Okay. Uh, Mr. Chairman, that completes my report. Do you have any questions? Yeah, thank you. I have one question before we'll open up to the rest of the commissioners. Can you go back to the one re regarding the protest? Sure. Yeah, right. Uh, which part, the um, state or the city? This one right here. This one okay. right here. What what is a, what is a, a, what determines a, a formal protest? I mean, what would what would where would this kick in? I don't oh. like a, someone doesn't like a project. Do they have to get petitions signed? Percentage, um, percentage of people in the area. What, what is the protest? Uh, the mo this is for zoning map amendments, specifically. Zoning map amendments can result in a protest petition. Um, that requires the the body that's protesting, which could be the a neighborhood, could be other business owners, uh, and it takes uh, three quarters. Well, okay. Um, I don't have it on here, but let me go to my... Let's see, do I have that in my cookbook? Just a moment here. Mm -hmm. uh, the owners of 20% or more of the property by area, number of lots, tracts, condominium units within the zoning area of the affected property, that's, that's the notice distance that we do, file a written protest against the amendment the zoning amendment shall only be become effective by favorable vote of three quarters of the council in compliance with state law. Okay. And then the, the protest deadline signed by property owners opposing a proposed amendment filed in city clerk's office not later than 12 noon, five business days before the date on which the council will vote on the proposed amendment. Okay. And then the zoning area is specifically defined as the area within 150 feet, including all rights away. So the rights away are not excluded from that. Um, of the affected property subject to the proposed amendment of, uh, of change. The area of the proposed amendment or change. Okay, and then just for clarification, and maybe our legal counsel can, can verify. So we have six council members and a mayor, and they're all present. So does it, does it become a super majority to, wait to, to make the protest valid, or? It, or is it I'll, a simple I'll let Kelly answer. <laughs> so if a protest is filed pursuant to this section, it would take three-fourths of the council to pass the item. Okay. That's very clear. Okay. Thank you. All right. Are there any other questions by the commissioners on any of this? Commissioner Wilson? Um, so if we're going to where the it says city staff may or shall, that's the change. If you could go to that for me. Sure. Is there going to be some sort of, um, okay, the project has done 20% or they've had a certain amount of stuff done? Like, how is city staff going to determine that? And is there going to be an outline for these PDs to follow instead of just giving the jurisdiction to the staff to determine? Uh, it's not just going to be staff, but the, the planning commissioners and the council members could, uh, uh, could uh, note that as well, that there's a particular project that's not making progress. And that can be looked at to see have they have they uh, been communicating with staff? Have they been submitting documents? Have they been uh, pulling permits? 
for grading, for uh, other activities. Uh, in other words, is there progress happening? If there's no progress happening after three years and there's been no plans submitted, there's been no requests for extensions of any kind on any uh, on grading permits or anything like that, then those are the plans that would most likely be eligible to come back. Um, and if if there's public interest in them coming back as well, potentially if neighbors are pushing for review, uh, what we're trying to avoid is having every single development plan that exceeds three years having to come back. Because uh, it uses the phrase, if substantial construction or development is not taking place. And that's today with the regulatory environment we're in, as I uh, described earlier, it's very possible we could have very viable projects that are still advancing, um, bumping up on that three-year limit and facing this uh, code requirement. I guess my, my concern is just that it's very clear to the public when reading the code that they understand what substantial means versus nothing. That's obviously very clear. But what defines substantial? Is it a dollar figure? Is it how many you know phases they've gone through or whatnot? I just think that it needs to be very clear for the person interpreting that, that it, especially if you have two projects, maybe one has spent a million dollars, but the other one's done you know five or six efforts on the project, how that's going to be determined. Yeah. That, that would be my concern. That is a very good point you brought up. The term substantial is used in a lot of uh, planning documents. Um, it, PD development plans just of themselves of the, in, their, in their nature, we typically use the, the phrase, and I've used it a lot in my career, um, uh, substantial change to the, to the concept uh, development plan could require going back to the Planning Commission Council for re-review just for the plans. And again, that word substantial, so that has to be determined on a case-by-case -case basis whether something's substantial or not. Um, with a construction project, if it's, got, if it's a large, let's say, 10-acre project, a $20 million project, and you've got to get federal approvals from different uh, agencies, you've got to get state approvals, uh, from different agencies as well, and then you have need all the city approvals. Uh, that could potentially take years to do. And they're making substantial progress, although no construction's happening. So the, uh, when you look at that, it says if substantial construction or development has not taken place, one could easily look at a piece of property that's working hard behind the scenes and say, hey, you've done nothing in three years, and you're required to come back for review. Whereas, uh, uh, the whole time they've been working with these different agencies, including our staff. And so I think that just creates a level of confusion that's unnecessary. And uh, we would communicate regularly if we believe there's a problem when different officials would come to us and say, hey, uh, uh, we haven't seen anything happening here. What's going on? And we can say, okay, here's what's happening. And that wouldn't necessarily require it to come back to council. So, excuse me for my ignorance, I feel like maybe I should have read into this more. So what happens if they've, let's just say they've done nothing or very little and they have to come back, what, what then happens? They're just sorry you've lost the PD or I, I guess I'm unclear of what the repercussions are with that. Uh, well, as it states in C, if substantial construction development has not taken place, assuming, let's say this, this happens, uh, within three years from the data council approval of the, of the general development plan, the council may, if this is approved, 
review the district at a public hearing, so that a public hearing we schedule to determine whether or not its continuation in whole or in part is in the public interest. So uh, if substantial action has not been taken, even behind the scenes, the council could technically say, you know what, we've changed our minds, we, we don't want this plan to move forward and could revert it and it says here found not to be shall act to remove the plan development overlay district from the property and so that would be the ultimate action would be to remove the concept plan and the overlay good done tiffany no yeah good that's that's always been there we're not arguing that text so i was just unclear Mm -hmm. at the end process okay mr chairman yes uh, Jeff Tuman, Development Services Director. Just to add to that, um, I think the main reason for this is let's say we approve a PD rezone for like a, an industrial um, zoning, we'll call it. They haven't done any substantial construction. It's sat there for let's say five years. Well, within that five years, maybe the property around that developed into multifamily. For some reason, that area is more getting more diversified and is developing like that. This would give um, the, us the opportunity or the city the opportunity to come back and say hey you haven't done any substantial construction or development or working with any agencies this area is going in this direction therefore um, this would we could come back and say um, yeah it's appropriate or no it's not so I think that's what a lot of this um, section kind of pertains to as well if that makes Commissioner sense. Harris I think you answered the point that I was going to make uh, okay. three years doesn't automatically trigger a review. You mentioned in your own statements five years down the road or whatever. Correct. This is complaint or uh, circumstance driven. Correct. Absolutely. Mr. Chair, just yes. one more yes. comment. I'll add on to this. Yes, Gary. I think that it's important. Mm-hmm. One, in the 17 years that I've been here, we've never ever brought something back because it wasn't constructed. So this is a it's a, it's a weird little piece of the code but where it's come back to kind of hurt us a little bit is that somebody comes forward and say, hey, this person hasn't developed in over three years. It should have automatically reverted, or the city should have done something. And we don't like that position. We like it there as a tool in the very rare case that we may need it, but we don't want it to be used against somebody else who wants to try to revert somebody else's property because it hasn't been constructed. So we like the idea of having the tool there. It's... it. it not used rarely if ever and but we want to make sure that it's clear that it's a it's not a requirement of the city to bring it back and to review it it's not a requirement that the city has to revert anything it's just there just for that instance like Jeff mentioned which again has not come up so strictly backup mm-hmm. it's in the toolbox if we need it if, if we ever need it which is very rare okay any other comments by the Commission Mr. Commissioner Lair so my question goes back to the, uh, the trash container or trash enclosure requirements and change. And it's, I know it, it stayed this, I've known this detail for 30 years. Um, and it's not a great detail. I think, you know, no question about that. But I am curious if there's been any, um, I don't know, pushback or feedback from the trash hauler regarding the current standard that they've that we've all sort of used or modified to some extent you know for quite a long time um, it's 
I'm just curious what you've heard from the trash hauler regarding this proposed or what the existing issues were. Uh, no, we have not received uh, uh, any pushback or comment from Republic Services. Uh, it's important to note that all over the nation, the, this, style, this style of dumpster is very common today. And the trash trucks uh, uh, just have to maneuver with the pads where they're located. Um, our code does require, under C2, does require that enclosures be completely screened from view. That's all sides. Uh, the diagrams were not consistent, and we're trying to just clean that up. So that's, always, that's been our code since 2016. And then you have the issue with blowing trash. You have the issue with, uh, uh, with the unsightly appearance of these, particularly if they're set closer to the street. You don't have gates. People stack stuff there. And it just, and then if you get a windstorm, uh, and the lids aren't closed, blows trash everywhere. The gates would, would help hide the view. Would also help with uh, blowing trash to keep uh, quite a bit of it, not all of it, but quite a bit of it, contained. And uh, could also, could also potentially help with uh, vector issues with uh, rodents, things like that. So it's uh, to put enclosures up that don't have gates is detrimental in a, in a number of different ways and, and as our code recognizes. And so these diagrams uh, make an effort to kind of show what's expected. I think my only, my question there, I know we've adopted gates at least through design review for probably about two years now, which, which I agree with. I think that's a good, you know, adjustment to it. Um, what I am seeing, though, is the, the, contain, the dumpster enclosure is at least three feet deeper than what the current standard is. And that does make a difference. And I'm, I'm just saying if, if that's an arbitrary depth that's not really been tested by the trash hauler, I would like some flexibility there to um, at least have something, some input from the trash hauler to confirm what their minimum size is so that that can be taken into account. Well, if you look at the diagram, proposed diagram, this is a typical double container enclosure with gates. This is not, ex this is not intended to be the final design because each design is going to be different. If they have one, one container, two containers, three containers, uh, some of them have uh, person access paths from the side when they're six feet tall. Uh, so they will vary, but this is just the typical look that these containers are supposed to have, container enclosures. And they can vary, but the point here is uh, metal, metal gates, solid metal gates, uh, encourages bollards that protect the container enclosure from being demolished by a vehicle hitting it, um, and uh, screening on the gate so you can't see through and see the trash behind there if it happens to be stacked or blow out in the wind. Okay. Yeah. Mr. Chin, um, do you want to Mr. Leary, I think, has a good point. Um, probably, we could probably strike that dimension to leave it, like uh, Mr. Gilbert said, like it's not the final design. So I think that might be a good recommendation. Um, what do you think, Mr. Gilbert? The depth of the container, of the enclosure itself, um, could be left up to uh, take strike that dimension um, so it would be uh, more universal within the design and wouldn't be held to that standard. I think we can approve that with that, with that strike. 
So will that have to be included in a motion? I believe so. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank Is that you. it? Thank you. Okay. Well, this is a public hearing. Does anyone from the public like to address the council, the commission on this matter? Seeing none, bring it back to commissioners for discussion or a possible motion. Anybody? Commissioner DeZero. I can make a motion um, on ID 234065 um, to recommend to, I think it's recommending to the City Council the changes to the City Codes of 14.04.01, 14.04.04, and 1405.04 to correct the textual errors, replace the trash enclosure diagrams, removing the dimensions on the diagram. Conform zoning map amendment protest with state law and clarified the plan development non-performance review process. Okay, I have a motion by Commissioner DeZero. Second. Second by Commissioner Harris. Any more discussion? Okay, we're ready to vote. The motion passes seven to zero. Thank you. All right, the next discussion item is, it's a discussion item, it's ID 23-4071, review and discussion regarding possible design standards of metallic exterior materials on commercial buildings. Mr. Gilbert. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, to start this off, Exhibit A is gonna be right here leaning up against the chair. I was wondering what that was. <laughs> um, this, this whole, this is a discussion item, so it's not a formal, it's not a formal question answer type thing. Uh, so it can be more informal, but what this is about is um, our code, the way it is written, does not directly address metallic siding, metallic exteriors on buildings. And given the, it, Changes in technology, uh, metal exteriors on buildings has become more popular in recent years and very common nationwide, even, even in high-end uh, shopping centers. Now, a, a lot of the community is stucco, uh, adobe-type style design, uh, and this is a question that's coming up more often from developers. And let me advance the screen here. So what our code says is materials used in constructing and finishing a structure shall be of high quality adobe, brick, stone, or cementitious materials durable under desert climate conditions that display a similar level of quality and architectural interest as materials used in the design structures adjacent to the proposed structure. Uh, and then the course goes into glare and, and colors. Um, that being said, there's, there's essentially four styles of uh, that kind of metallic exterior sided building that you'll find around the country in commercial districts. Yes, this one has a roll-up garage door, but uh, it's not too unlike, um, I, I couldn't find any great examples of commercial buildings that 
were worth putting up on the overhead. So just ignore that door. Imagine that being a commercial building. That's one where the full siding is uh, is metal, and that has you know what everybody expect a metal building to look like, and using colors for highlights to kind of differentiate. The second example, and this one's uh, believe it or not, is almost entirely uh, metallic siding. It's just it's done in a way with modern materials that makes it look very unique, very interesting, and and could be compatible in a lot of different environments. Um, it looks like something you would even find in Park City, Utah, for example. Uh, this is a, a metallic sided exterior. And again, that's not addressed in our code, and that's why I'm, we're discussing this here as an item to see what the Planning Commission is comfortable uh, uh, forwarding to the board to talk about when it gets to them to see as far as what you guys think that they can use that in their discussion because they'll get the same presentation. Um, the third style, and we have a, we do happen to have a lot of Dollar Jones in town. Mm -hmm. I didn't use any photos of buildings that are here in Havasu, so no one could be individually identified. But this is a very popular style nationwide right here where you have uh, the entire wall structure is brick, stone, or stucco, and you have uh, the metallic uh, roof frame structure. Uh, above which is the uh, metallic siding and then the last which is more of an more it's common and more common in older areas of, of cities not as common today to be built as as this style here but that's the kind where you have the wainscoting that comes up to the bottom of the windows uh, no matter how low the windows go in this case they go pretty low so the wainscoting is is not very high but in some buildings, the windows are higher up and the wainscoting goes higher than what you see here. But these are essentially the four styles that you can find in a lot of communities around the country that incorporate metallic siding. And because our code doesn't, uh, because our code doesn't talk about it, and I'll go back here to the code section right here. Because our code doesn't talk about it, that's an issue that we want to uh, bring as a discussion item initially, see what you guys think about this style of construction in the community and what type of it would be acceptable to fit in with the older style Adobe uh, stucco designs that we have dating back to 1960, about 1964. Um, another point I want to make is that what's not it's in your packets, but it's on the overhead because it wasn't that significant. Uh, below item number three, colors, there's a number four, entries and accessibility, number five, wall plane length and articulation. So there are some additional features that would not, uh, a metallic exterior would not be exempt from. So they would still have to have bump outs. They'd have to have offsets and different alternate materials, certain areas uh, to create interest uh, in the design in the building by the uh, by the viewer mm -hmm. and a good example of that well you don't get that with that style it's very hard mm -hmm. that style is very plain very basic but here there's a lot of a lot of that interest that's in uh, those code sections is reflected here and to some degree here because they have the the entrance portico extends out about three feet uh, so you have you have that long-walled 
uh, interruption with the entryway. So those are all factors to consider here when you're uh, talking about the metallic design and, and uh, the degree to which it's acceptable in the community. Again, this is just a discussion item, so I'm here to provide any yeah. so Mr. Harris question has you may a question. have. Commissioner Harris has a question. <laughs> I have a question. So what generated this discussion? I mean, what uh, our code doesn't specifically exclude this type of construction. It does not, but it also does not specifically describe to what degree uh, we would find that acceptable in our community mixed in with the older Adobe designs. Why would it not be acceptable? And I'm playing devil's advocate. Why would, I mean, what, what's the need for this? Uh, developers are... Uh, developers are pushing this because technology's improved so much in recent years, even with metallic materials that uh, using, let's see, using this example here, they can look super good, super nice, and also cost is driving part of this as well. Uh, the cost of development, when you consider land values, cost of development is going up significantly every year, and uh, knowing the degree to which some cost-saving techniques, such as metallic siding, can be used is would be helpful to the development community. But again, if our code doesn't exclude this, I mean, what's the problem? I don't. But see it a doesn't with specifically it. state the degree to which it could be could be permitted. And uh, yeah, it looks like Jeff has some additional comments. What do you say, Jeff? Yeah, thanks. Uh, again, this is just a discussion. Um, like Chris keeps saying, the code doesn't directly address metal, metallic siding building. So we're trying to show you examples of different types and styles that we see. Um, but when someone comes to staff and wants to put a shipping container type building somewhere, and we look at this code, it's kind of like, um, okay, you know, it mentions shiny, this and that. So it kind of puts us in a predicament. And then we want, um, you know, it says Adobe stucco type materials so then that's where staff gets put in a situation like what is acceptable does it match the predominant area of adjacent buildings um, you know can we we try to push for Wayne's coating and stucco maybe facing right of ways and that kind of stuff but when we go back to this section they could say well where does it actually say that so we're just what's acceptable basically what what is the just we're here to have a discussion about do we feel that it is acceptable or it's not and if it is then is it with Wayne's coding uh, mm -hmm. does that help a little or? a little bit although this is not a shipping container issue I, I would tend to think that might open a totally different can of worms but for a commercial application this is pretty standard around the country now we do have something in our or had something years ago, maybe 20 years or so before your time, maybe, um, in the code about residential, mm -hmm. because these steel buildings were, were becoming real popular 20, 25 years ago. I've seen more of those lately, but I, as I recall, this commission put together some sort of guidelines as to what could be used in residential, but never anything with regards to commercial. You're correct. That's why we're here today emphasizing the commercial aspect because uh, metal siding is not permitted in residential areas per the development code. So that's easy. That's easy for us. You are correct that residential zones. Well, it's, 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 it's permitted, permitted as long as it's not in, enclosed, right? Well, 
Yeah, it the car the carports have to be open on the front and rear, right. and the metal siding can go down to right. the side. It's enclosed. But that's it's enclosed. It has to be stuccoed panels, right? Correct. You're correct. So I think that yes. what you're asking is that it, it is possible for somebody to come and ask for a shipping container just as well as the metal just as well as any of the new things that are coming out that are the newest and latest and greatest right right i use shipping container because everybody can visualize Mm -hmm. that and those there's actually building code standards that those have to be designed to and can be used as buildings now so we can technically you know they um they make restrooms out of these right and parks and those kinds of things so um yeah we could see that we can see metal buildings like like we the first picture come in and want to go downtown now is that uh, acceptable is it not do we want wayne's coating do we not do we just want to address the front elevation facing the right-of-ways that you can see from there and then the other three sides can just be the corrugated metal um, there's all kinds of different options and styles there um, if you feel that it's the it's uh, fine the way it is then then that's fine that's fine, and us as staff will deal with that as we have, and continue down the, the path we're going. So, so I have a question. So, so in a real world situation, so how did what, how did the conversation go with the nomadic? Because that's all metal. It's just a metal building, the whole thing. Yeah. So that that's a good example. That's I a good example. Yeah. I wasn't involved in that project, um, so I can't really speak to it mm-hmm. intelligently, but. Uh, that is a good example. So is that something that uh, is desirable? I know that uh, the zoning administrator at the time had uh, went round and round with that design. Okay. Um, they, that is an actual sample from that building that was brought in. To, that's, what it looked, that's what I thought that was when yeah, I saw it sitting there. Um, and they call it an R panel, and so they reverse the panel. So the normal metal siding that sticks out is less is more corrugated than the way that is so they turned the panel backwards and called it like an inverted panel um, to give it more depth um, so I, it's, it's I can't speak to that because no, I wasn't I involved it. in that but but that is an example well I do think it's important that we give staff direction because mm-hmm. we get different people in um, and people new people get hired whatever and it helps them to just have some general guidelines and I'm I think it's great to let you guys know that, yeah, I'd like the, the metal stuff. They've come up with great stuff this time. I like the Wayne's coating. I don't like the box style. I do think we've, and, but you pointed out that our code does require some bump outs and some things that they need to do, which I'm fine with that. Um, and I'm okay with doing, they'd not have to do it all the way around the building if the back of the building isn't shown anywhere and it's not going to interfere, fair, but the front of it needs to look nice with probably the Wayne's coating and either the stucco or brick, whatever option they want to use on that. I think that would be good guidance mm-hmm. for the for the staff to have, and they can give them flexibility. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's as simple as just adding some words to the, you know, to the current wording of, of just to clarify what Joan, Ms. Zero um, said. Because know. we're taking this to the council for a discussion mm-hmm. next, we just want to kind of get the planning commission's opinion to inform the commission, or I'm mean, sorry, the council of what the commission. Uh, thought at this discussion and that will help the council decide number one do they want to uh, uh, direct it back for actual modification of that section of code or do they just want to let it die um, leave it as is we don't know this is just to kind of give you guys input to go with staffs 
to present the council. And, and before I turn back over to Commissioner Harris, because I, I agree that you see this kind of construction all over the place in, in other towns and so forth. And I was asked, asked the same question almost verbatim. Why is this coming up in front of us? So, um, but go ahead. Yeah. All right, if you go back to the first first slide, please. If I, if I could that real, one right there. real quick. Um, I just wanted to make it clear that this this doesn't this code second doesn't apply to um, light industrial industrial area zone of properties. Pretty much commercial, C1, C2. C1, C2. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, if there's going to be something done on this, I would suggest that potentially it be done by zoning district, uh, for instance, like Main Street, something like that. You wouldn't want to see something like this pop up on Main Street. Correct. Um, right. You know, it's more of an industrial application. So, uh, but, you know, as far as other commercial properties, I think it would have to be looked at on a case-by-case -case basis mm -hmm. without, you know, just adding a whole bunch of verbiage to the code. Right. Yeah. Mr. Chairman. Yeah. Commissioner Lair. Yeah, I, I agree with, with Jim. I, metal's great. I mean, I love metal. And, um, awesome. And it's, a, you know, it's just part of a palette of materials, you know, that give the designer, you know, some options to work with. And, um, yeah, I think there's, I think the, actually, if, as I read through this, I've never really read through the, you know, the colors and the, you know, this opening section two before, and I, it, it does seem kind of dated, just the, the opening paragraph feels like it needs to have more of an intent added to it. It seems a little, almost too prescriptive as far as this is okay, but that's not, but who's more really making that decision? And, and when it talks about adjacent buildings, I don't know, how do you, how does that work? So I think we've done a pretty good job with the buildings that have gone up. There's sort of a natural tendency. You know, I think 80 to 90% of the buildings use sort of a, they just fall into more of a tan or more common, you know, stucco range of materials. But then it's also nice to have mm -hmm. something like the nomadic and, and other buildings where you feel there's been a little bit more, you know, creative influence and makes people kind of think you know, what's right and what's wrong about architecture, and those are all good things to have happen in a community. So I, I think we should maybe reconsider how that first paragraph reads. The verbiage on it. Yeah, a bit more, and, and to include metal, certainly. Chairman Diaz. Commissioner DeZero. Well, in that regard, then, would this be a problem for you guys if we basically just make a recommendation to council that we just change the wording to materials used in constructing and finishing a structure shall be of high quality, durable under desert climate conditions that display a similar level of quality and architectural interest as materials used in the design of structures adjacent to the proposed structure. Materials may not create shine or create blah, blah, blah. So we have take out the actual specificity of which materials we think are okay, but we're leaving in, it still has to be desert climate, it could be the metal, whatever, and we still have the other requirements for the punch outs and all that stuff that need to be done. Would that cause problems for you guys? Just kind of more of a generic. Uh, right. Yeah. The, the materials part is left open to whatever is going to fit, and it says to the structures next to it. So I think that takes care of your, um, um, Commissioner Harris, your concern about going on Main Street. We don't want one of these to pop up. So if it, the structure next to it wouldn't be conducive to that. So that would give them the flexibility to say, no, you can't use that here if, it's, if they're trying to do just a metal box building on downtown. Mr. Chairman, that 
Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Chairman. That makes a lot of sense, uh, w with one exception. Uh, what's your view on shipping containers? Should um, <laughs> that type of are you asking me exterior? But uh, the, the commission as a whole, what's your take Mine on? Be no. Yeah. Have that uh, specifically excluded? <laughs> well, correct me if I'm wrong, but a shipping container isn't um, held to a standard of structure and and built to maintain any sort of weight or occupancy right. or anything like that. So I would also agree with the rest of the commission that I don't yeah. think this is a shipping yeah. container conversation or, or that we um, should not be looking at that as being some sort of device used for buildings. I agree. I agree. Or uh, we, we could look at color, the color section and maybe add something in there. Well, I guess that doesn't make sense really. Um, maybe in the materials, section we could add something that says um, predominant the material shall be pr predominantly similar to the colors of the area or adjacent buildings or something like that in the mat in the materials section that would help staff um, determine well mm -hmm. you're coming in with this this metal building right like the yeah. first picture we saw well that doesn't meet the adjacent um, buildings in the predominant area so maybe do this Wayne's code or do some brick on the front up to a certain point or do something mm -hmm. like that to kind of match those and um, we could use that section okay. um, to do that I think if we did something like that would you what's your thoughts Chris yeah I think we could it, um, yeah I think that's some good advice I think there's room for some verbiage modification without mm -hmm. getting into too much regulation. Mm -hmm. No, I agree 100%. Mm -hmm. uh, we we want it to to we, we we don't want to change it to be uh, exit to address all these materials right now, and then next year they come out with some other different right. type of material, or whatever. Correct. We're back here again. So, no, the yeah, I think we could I think we could clean that section up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Uh, I I personally think shipping containers are a significant issue today. Um, and we're starting to uh, have a lot of questions about them. From I, re I recently visited a location that built a whole stadium out of shipping containers, and they were very, very proud of it, and it looked like not very good, put it that way. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's going down the wrong path. All right, any more? Yeah, uh, Commissioner Stevenson. So I guess I'm, I'm new to the board. Who, who approved the new building on McCulloch then, the Nomad, that has substantially the same construction as that example that we're talking about we don't want on McCulloch? It's already there. What? It, it just feels like that's what stimulated this conversation is that building is up, it's existing, and now people are wanting to, to duplicate that building. And some of the business owners in that area that own property are telling me that that's devalued their property, that type of construction. Well, I think that is the conversation, is that the code was not clear enough for them to say, no, they couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're now asking for, is they need clarity. So when these conversations come up, that it's very specific on what is and what is not allowed. Am I correct? Yeah, I think, I, I believe Jeff commented earlier that he was not, he, was, he did not have any part in that review. That was under the previous director. If you're talking about the, the economic development uh, mm -hmm. center, yeah. No, like, like as Mr. Stevenson said, he hit the nail right on the head. There's been some questions, like, you know, 
it's already done, so the cat's out of the bag. Now, and then, as Commissioner Wilson said, then this is kind of cleaning that up so we don't run into that situation again, which is hindsight, but it's got to be done. So. Mr. Chairman? Yes. Um, I kind of think this is more really of a zoning issue, too, because if you look at the properties that are zoned commercial, but they're zoned C1 and C2 on Kiowa, and the requirements where they have a stucco facade, now would this open up for infill buildings to be done without the stucco facade? And then you're not going to be matching. How would you differentiate, say, we don't match, you don't match the rest of the community? Well, uh, the Kiowa overlay, the standards of the overlay district would still apply. We're not changing that. This is just for the commercial zones, C1, C2, and other related that are not in the downtown area that are not under special overlays. Okay. And the wording that we were looking at also said the buildings need to comply with what's on either side as well so that it needs to be a kind of a theme looking in the areas that's there as well which is what I think you guys take into account mm -hmm. right. do you want to add something Jeff or are you good uh, no, okay yeah. anything else yeah I, I, sure. I do th yeah I do think that I think being held to what the neighbor did is isn't right at all I think that just is way too restrictive and I think there is a place for a building like the Nomadic, no question about it. Whether you like it or not, it, it does make you think, and it kind of, it has a place in, in the architecture here in the community. Um, Did you design that building? No, I didn't. <laughs> but I, I, really, but I, I look at it and I really think about it. I wonder what, I'm teasing, Paul. <laughs> but no, I, anyway, I, I think there's a place for that, for sure. And, um, I guess one other comment, and just shifting gears on one piece that hasn't really been touched on, which is when you have like a commercial lot that has a front building, frontage, but then you have extra depth for say a, an accessory building, whether it's a warehouse or whatever it is, um, I'm not sure where that's covered in the code. You know, it, it seems like there should be a hierarchy between, you know, what is directly frontage versus what is in the rear versus what is you know, how is it viewed from an alley or a side yard and, um, you know, how that gets kind of interpreted? Uh, typically, in my experience uh, for the communities I work for, the, uh, what the improved facade is typically required facing public right-of-ways, which would be streets, uh, not so much alleys, and uh, directly adjacent residential would get the, the treatment. And anything else would be the lesser extend a facade that's just throwing that out there that that's pretty common so just a thought about the shipping containers only because I think it's intriguing what you can do with those that there might be a place where if it's an accessory building in a more you know in a c2 zone that you could do something creative with a shipping structure that wouldn't necessarily <laughs> take away from the you know the architecture along the frontage uh, so I, I wouldn't totally rule them out as an option. <laughs> so I believe the suggested action is that we would like for City Council to go ahead and look at this about changing the verbiage and having this cleaned up. Yeah, I think so. And I think I think um, if we do that, clean it up with the ver with the correct language and verbiage and so forth, and get a little bit more specific, we're also going to eliminate when someone does ask us a question, we could say it is, it's in the code. You know, I get the same question for the tiny homes. Why are you guys uh, allowing these tiny homes to be built? It's in the code. It's in, we're not, we're not, they haven't been in front of us to, to change 
the coding. It's 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 part of the code. So it just it just clarifies it and makes it precise that it's they're not doing something that's out of the, out of the, out of the ordinary. So all right, open discussion. Any anything else? Thank you. Okay. That's the last item on the agenda. Uh, this is a call to the public. Uh, this is the uh, opportunity for the public to address the commission about a topic on not on today's agenda. We are unable to re respond directly back to you. I have a two-way conversation. If anyone wishes to address the commission at this time, please step forward and keep your comments for under five minutes. Anyone? Seeing none. Mr. Gilbert, future meetings. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. The next meeting of the Planning Commission will be on January 3rd, so right after New Year's. And we have uh, two cases that are going to be on a parking and common amendment on Chimawavy, uh, right next, right across the alley from the uh, apartments that were approved a couple months ago for a uh, uh, drive-through, what we believe is a coffee shop. They haven't been very specific on the use, but it will be a drive-through. And because it's occupying a single narrow lot, they can't possibly, um, with, uh, with odors on the other sides, they can't possibly build enough of the parking in common to fit with the current plans that are coming in just to be allowed to do something right now. That's a little bit different until the other lots uh, develop, and then they'll become part of that plan. Okay. Um, and then the other one is 700 London Bridge Road. That got rezoned to MUG, um, uh, I believe it was last year, two, two years ago. MU, uh, 700 London Bridge Road at the corner of Industrial and London Bridge Road. Mm -hmm. And what they want to do on the property uh, today is slightly different from what they originally planned. So uh, uh, what the, that requires them to come back to put the PD zone big with that MUG. So they're coming back just to add PD to it, and they'll have a concept plan that's presented for a mixed use uh, on the east side of the property off industrial be storage units, and then the bulk of it will be... Um, uh, ground floor garage, upper floor living, uh, residential units with a restaurant. So it's kind of a mixed-use development, but some of the provisions of MUG don't allow them to do certain components of that very easily. Yeah, that, is a, that is a slight change from what was before. It so is, yes. Yeah, okay. Um, so that will be come back to you on January 3rd. And um, upcoming for council... Uh, again, they cancel their meeting on the 26th, but on the January 9th, they'll be looking at the code amendments that were addressed uh, today. They'll be looking at, and this and, and this didn't come to you guys because it's not in development code, but they'll be looking at text amendments to the subdivision ordinance and uh, the Tonto final plat and the, another abandonment. So that's what's on their schedule for the 9th, and then down the road a bit we're looking at a major uh, re commercial project up by the mall mm -hmm. and mixed-use project but all commercial and uh, uh, a potential plat at some point on the island so that's down the road a ways good yep. so all right thank you and uh, seeing no other business this meeting is adjourned <laughs>